Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about being an independent producer, and we are joined with a very special guest, Jimmy Wen. Yeah. Say hi. Yay, Jimmy. Hey guys. <laughs> and Jimmy helped produce the critically acclaimed documentary Showrunners. Welcome, Jimmy. How you doing? Thanks for having me, guys. Fantastic. You, you guys' radio voice sound completely different. <laughs> I'm like holding in a laugh as you like listen to you guys talk right now. <laughs> so getting into it, uh, Jimmy, do you want to just give us a little bit of background on yourself and uh, tell people what, where you came from, what you've been doing? I moved to LA six years ago. I had worked in the tech industry for a really long time in San Diego, just like working on websites and apps and stuff like that. And it was really awesome, but also miserable. And uh, one of the big things I wanted to do was like, make an app, sell it for a ton of money, come to LA, make movies. That was the plan. It was like that simple. And then all the things I worked on were complete and utter failures. So then none of that happened. And I came to LA and I still got to do, you know, everything. It just took a little longer. Showrunners was my first one. I always tell people it was like a five-year endeavor. It was the first thing I ever did. I never thought I'd be a documentary filmmaker. I met the people involved like three, six months into LA at a comic book mixer. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, called Comic Book Sunday. Uh, they, they still do it. Yeah. It's run by my friend Ben. Uh, it's a really big gathering of like some film people and some comic people and like random people. But it's always like, uh, it was like a fun party at like someone's house or a titmouse and stuff. So uh, I met Des Doyle and Ryan McGuffey, who have become, you know, the greatest friends I've had in LA. They started. They were working on showrunners, and they were only a couple months in. And somehow, I weaselled my way on there. <laughs> <laughs> were you passionate about television before that documentary? Was it? I mean, you... I was passionate about watching it in my underwear <laughs> and eating pizza, <laughs> understanding it and making it. And, you know, like I, I didn't know at the time. Uh, one of the things I wanted to do differently when I got to LA was like be open-minded about like my career path you know like i wanted to write i wanted to direct i wanted to be a rock star like you know like you go to la you want to be awesome but um how to get there and i think that's kind of like the dilemma most people have when they move to la i was just like i'm just gonna go with the flow like i'm gonna find people i'm gonna help them on their projects i'm gonna build a resume i'm gonna get experience you know i I was i was pretty practical with like my approach to everything and so i just kind of started helping these guys Mm -hmm. with zero experience i mean I always make a joke that my EP experience on Showrunners was really driving Des around because <laughs> he was from Ireland. He didn't have a car. You know, I, I earned my credit by letting him sleep on my couch. <laughs> I really learned how to make a movie in a very guerrilla style with those guys because those guys didn't know how to make a movie either. You know, Des was a focus puller for a long time. Ryan was like an actor, producer. I mean, very early on, we were kind of nobodies and it's weird uh you know i brought in my friend jason who was also kind of like early producing getting out of modeling i mean we were just such a weird ragtag group (laughs) and it like when i think about it now i I can't believe we finished this film and it came out so you moved to la from the bay area from san diego from san diego how did you start building those relationships with people did you know people in la did you um i mean i knew the friends from San Diego that yeah. moved up here, but they were kind of like, some of them were in visual effects and some of them were kind of just like doing other stuff. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be one of those guys that was just like leeching on my friends who were kind of doing well. <laughs> I started just, you know, working with uh, different people. I learned, I learned the wrong lessons in my first year and a half. And then and this is it. I was trying to network with like famous fucks. I was trying to like, <laughs> 
meet directors and scam my way into screenings and you know do all that stuff which is like we see people do all the time and i started to realize it's like man these guys can't do shit for me i'm a nobody like why why am i networking this way it's such an awful way to do it i always felt miserable right you know you're chasing people to try to like call you back that was my first year and a half. You know, I, I felt like I wasn't even making any real friends. I had this weird idea that I was kind of taught through like reading articles and watching movies and stuff. And uh, and after a bit, I was like, you know what? I I need to just make some real friends. I need to have peers that I can commiserate with. And, you know, like I'd rather, you know, spend decades kind of working alongside people as they grow as well so we can make stuff eventually. You know, like I... It's like a 30-year long game for me now. Uh, but yeah, I, I think when I had that revelation, it was just like after a bad time in LA. And I almost moved back home. I went to drinks with this guy named Wally Schrass, who uh, is one of my best friends now. And we just kind of like talked about everything. I think connecting with like a normal human being <laughs> made me stay in LA because I went, oh, I could actually have a normal friend and not... You know, like when you surround yourself with industry people, you kind of just talk about that a lot and it just right. like kind of gets old, you know? I got it. Do I sound bitter? <laughs> it's weird, but I'm actually very optimistic about everything. But at that time, my mindset was like, I don't know what I'm doing. This documentary I'm working on, like, I don't know if this is going anywhere. These were all the things I was thinking at the time. And uh, I was about to throw in the towel because I just, nobody ever tells you how to do things, For you sure. know? Yeah. But I, I think just once I realized, just make friends. Yeah. That's the best way to network. Mm-hmm. Make friends, be yep. real with people, hang out, uh, do more than just get coffee and drinks. Like, actually, like, experience life with them, Absolutely. you know? And it seems so obvious, but when you come to L.A. and you kind of, like, they tell you to go to mixers and shit yeah, there's, like definitely the, there's definitely this perception that you got to network, and that means, you know, it's business, it's and it's, like, putting on this facade yeah. instead of just actually making friends. And Yeah, yeah, and I think once I started to understand that, like, my drinks didn't consist of talking about myself or, you know, talking about the industry. I just kind of, like, want to learn about the other person and, you know, see what their obsessions and hobbies are and try to, like... You know, get into those things too. I mean, I think because I have so many friends that are in so many different things, I, I kind of. I'm obsessed with all these things now in LA. <laughs> and you certainly have a, a reputation as being someone who knows everyone and everyone knows Jimmy. And I was very lucky that if someone likes you, they want to introduce you, you know, their friends mm-hmm. or whatever, and they kind of bring you into their group. So I was yeah. very lucky early on to meet people who were very gracious with bringing me into their lives. And, yeah. you know, it's, uh, and I try to do the same now. I'm looking up right now how many Facebook friends and comment I have with Jimmy. And it's <laughs> going to be a substantial amount. Is it? I'm going to guess 80. Uh, it is 82. <gasps> oh, you were close. 82 maybe. Oh. friends. Nick, you <laughs> look it up, Nick. I'm going to say we're, we there's more, more. I'll That's say we're in the more. hundreds. In the hundreds. Or a, over a hundred. No, 99. <gasps> wow. We got to get one, one more mutual Whoa. friend. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Uh, yeah, but no, I have, I've definitely noticed that about you. You tend to kind of really try to help out people who are up and coming and introduce them to people and make friends and really just bring everyone, you know? Yeah, I, I think it's important. I mean, it's, it's such a weird thing to think about, but like, you know, you have those like actor friends who are kind of on the fringe and they're not doing very well and you kind of, nobody does it on purpose, but it feels like they're an outsider because you're mm-hmm. not talented. You don't get drawn in. Like it, naturally we gravitate towards people who are doing well. Like, oh, they write on a show. I got to be there, but. I noticed myself doing the same thing like you're going after successful people or whatever but 
I kind of am very aware now when people who aren't doing well to make sure that like, you know, I include them and I bring them in and I try to help them. And, you know, a lot of my friends, you know, like myself, for example, like I've hit so many rock bottom moments in my time in LA and I'm glad there's people who are, you know, take care of me and I try to do the same. It's it's hard. I, I wish I had somebody when I first moved to LA to kind of just say, Hey, don't do any of the bullshit they teach you. <laughs> Just like p- keep a roof over your head. Right. Be able to pay bills and travel around LA and just like have fun because as long as you're working and having fun along the way, like it'll eventually happen. So uh, just moving back to kind of working as a producer, in the broader sense, what is a producer? What do you, you know? I think a producer is somebody who just gets things done. People come to me just because I happen to know other people who get things done and I and I try to connect. I'm really good at motivating people to want to work in things. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of my ability. If I'm passionate about something, I think I could communicate that to other people and get them equally excited. And I learned that skill over doing showrunners just because... It was such a small movie at the time, and nobody gave you a fuck about us. <laughs> a movie about TV—that sounds dumb. And that was kind of like the <laughs> attitude people, right. you know, projected on us like for a really long time until it was like a good idea, yeah. you know. But I think along the way, everybody—me, Ryan, Des, Jason, um, and the rest of the team—like, you know, we were like evangelists for this project and just trying to get people excited to come on to help us share their resources, all this other stuff. I, I think I learned how to produce on showrunners just. By accident. I didn't realize I was producing. I was just kind of trying to get people to like want to help us. Trying to bring value to them in some way so that they cared about our project and shared it with their bosses. And, you know, because it really took like massive army to get that film done and so what is the role of a producer in collaborating with directors and writers and actors you know both creatively and in a more technical kind of sense i I think for with on show and i'll use two different examples so on showrunners des had a very clear vision and so he would communicate to us what he needed it was like all right we're gonna shoot jj abrams tomorrow we need this much money to be able to get the insurance to shoot on the lot Mm -hmm. we need a cameraman and we need somebody to drive us, you know, that type of thing. And so I would somehow find the money within 24 hours, which mostly was I called my parents in San Diego to give me money. I drive down. <laughs> I get I get a Ralph's bag of like $100 bills. I drive it back up. <laughs> you know, we pay the cameraman, pay the insurance, you know. Uh, but it's just like trying to like problem solve for the director. You know, mm-hmm. the director would communicate. Things. You either can do it or if it's too difficult, you try to talk to the director to see, okay, how can we compromise? How do we meet in the middle? Blah, blah, blah. Um, when I was doing Barista, it was one of those things where we're kind of discovering it along the way. Rock had a good idea what he wanted to do, but everything was kind of unfolding in front of us in real time. So mostly it's like talking to him creatively about how to approach things, who to talk to. You know, It's not like I'm directing alongside with him, but just trying to help him get to the conclusions he needed to make in order for us to proceed so it, it's creatively it's just working with the director to help him understand his vision because it hasn't come to him yet sometimes it takes a lot of thinking uh bouncing off uh you know bouncing ideas off of people and then just trying to make it happen you know and it, it's just like you have to be a renaissance man to <laughs> to be a good producer you just have to have like you have to know people have random weird skills an understanding of how to mobilize 
just I don't know, just get stuff done. Really, just that's what a producer is, get stuff done. And I I didn't go to film school. I didn't graduate college. My my skill set is really varied. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I don't specialize in anything. I just I just have a lot of ingenuity, and I'm really cheap. So, <laughs> you know, you're just trying to figure out how to stretch, like, the dollars that you have. And I'm really good at begging. I'm so <laughs> goddamn good at begging. Is that how you became producer, is just, like, begging people for things? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if anybody was paying attention during, like, any of the Kickstarters, it's just, you know, you have to be good at the ask. Asking for money, asking for support. I mean, people are giving up hours of their time to help me achieve it, my dream you know like how do you do that without feeling like a shit how do you do that without like burning your network how do you do that without like friends resenting you how do you just make sure you there's always value for people you know one of the difficulties of doing a movie like barista you know i asked every day uh you know was how do i get people who don't drink coffee to care about my movie about and so if you can answer it a little bit you know every day while you're making something you you get cl- you know you get closer to understand what your you know who your audiences are and how to get people to emotionally care about what you do. Man, I can make a movie tomorrow about hubcaps. I think it'd be pretty <laughs> f- good about getting people to care about it. Because if I honestly really cared about hubcaps and I could wax poetic about it, then I could probably over you know a coffee get you to. F- care about it at the end you know (laughs) well how did you get people who weren't necessarily interested in either coffee or even tv writing to care about those those projects the easiest thing is like you always make it about people every movie i make no matter what it is it's always going to be about people. so if i'm making a movie about coffee it's really about the baristas right so how do you how do you connect with somebody who's like making coffee all uh the baristas have this insane passion to make something beautiful and be consistent at it so if you could get people to understand that passion, because any, anybody wants to be good at whatever they're doing, right? Then they'll get it, you know? So I always tell people, Reese is a movie about passion and the approach to your craft, you know? And once we nailed that, you know, it was like an easy sell after. Now I understand why you're obsessed with uh, La La Land. That's perfectly <laughs> that, that theme. You know, like, like I, I understand there's a huge backlash on La La Land, and, and I feel uh, I have to defend myself on, like, how much I love it. <laughs> but... You know, it's how not ma- how even. How many times have you seen it in theaters? I saw five times. I saw five times. I, it was going to be just four, but then it came out in IMAX, so I had to catch it one more time. And I feel like I might end up seeing it one more time in IMAX, but I, I just like that movie because uh, at this time in my life, maybe like years ago, it wouldn't have connected with me, but at this time in my life, like it really speaks to me. Mm-hmm. The struggle, you know, caring about your art, thinking about maybe is it time to throw in the towel. Like, all those little things that they covered in it, I, I felt like, man, it really hit me hard. It seems to be a recurring theme in a lot of Chazelle's work. Like, Whiplash is one of my favorite movies, and I really identified with him as much as other people were like, what are you talking about? I don't understand. And, like, really just that drive and that passion yeah. that you will do anything yeah. to succeed, and you will, you know, sacrifice everything to get what yeah. you want. You know? And, man, when you when you hit that breaking point where you feel like it's time to quit, it's up, you know, and you kind of sit in it for a while. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, that... That's um, that's probably why his movies really do it for me. So going back to kind of the responsibilities of a producer, what is this notion of a baggage producer? We sometimes hear people talking about baggage producer. I don't know what that means. Really? Okay. I, well, I mean, you tell me. <laughs> I think people typically use it to re- refer to producers who are, you know, credited only in title and they're not really doing anything for the film. Like, have you ever oh, had situations like oh, that? Oh yes, where yes, someone, yes, yes, yes. Oh, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Sometimes somebody brings a resource to the table. That's so valuable that in order to get it, 
you have to make them equal to you in the billing. So that's kind of what that means sometimes. Another thing is, is like, your producers will be like, well, I introduced this person to you, so I deserve a credit. Baggage producers are people who don't do but make it so much harder for you to finish your movie and are people who need to feel like they're the man they want to be the face of the project they want to they want to like receive all the fame and the attention admiration so mm. yeah uh, oh my god i run across those guys all the time those people are the worst the absolute worst <laughs> if you don't bring any value to the project you like really need to walk away or Figure out some type of scenario where if you really need the credit. Like, I, I don't know. I, I'm not that type of person. I don't want credit on anything I don't contribute something of substance to, you right. know? But people just care about the credit. I'm very inclusive in my projects, much uh, to the chagrin of my other producers sometimes. They they don't like that I just, like, go, all right, this person's on the project now, you know? Like, <laughs> it really takes an army to make a movie, and then it takes an army for the movie to even succeed once it's released. Um, I hear stories about people who somehow push people out of their projects so that they're the sole producer. So it seems like they're the only one that put this movie together. And then when the film comes out, man, the film bombs because nobody <laughs> gives a f***. You, you really need evangelists for your film. You need people to care about it. I, I want everybody who works with me to feel like they have real ownership, you know, in the projects that I, that I work on. I don't, I don't need to be rich. I don't need to be the man. I'd, I'd rather high five people at the top. You know, I want people there to high five. Like, I don't need to be that cool where I'm making stuff or whatever. It's it's more fun if you you know do it with your friends. But yes, baggage producers, f- those guys. God. So just to move sideways a little bit, what is kind of your relationship to television, and do you want to produce for TV potentially? I think after making Showrunners, I do want to be a showrunner now. I'm sure that movie scares a lot of people, but right. I I feel lucky enough that in my earlier you know in my earlier career that I was able to build the ability to manage and motivate people, and that's kind of the the hard part of showrunning. It's like if you're a good enough writer, that's great. But yeah, you're kind of running an empire. Absolutely, yeah. Having producing experience kind of helps with that. Yeah, I think I would like to to show run. I I you know I got to get better at writing on TV for sure. That's a it's a long ways away. But uh, yeah, I would love to like you know make TV for sure. It is definitely like being a CEO of a multi million dollar company. Oh That's yeah, show running. I mean, you hear stories of shows getting canceled not because the ratings were bad but because it's a shit show behind the scenes mm-hmm. you know like i if you spend most of your life just writing in a vacuum in your room by yourself you're not developing those those people skills those managing skills yeah by the time you sell a pilot and it's a hit and you're two years into it and all of a sudden you're given the the showing chair like yeah you're gonna be an a- you know <laughs> and we all have friends that work in those rooms and it's run yeah. by an a- um yeah i would like to think i i I do well when the time and what do you see as the kind of key differences in producing for television as opposed to producing for film which you have you know more experience in producing for film i don't know man it's still like it's the wow west i think for for film it's like there's no real rules you could kind of do it however you want there's so many different approaches to making making a movie making Mm -hmm. a doc even i mean i've never even made a movie so i don't know i just know kind of like doc stuff you know, I'm, I've been working with the director, working with the cinematographer, and you're just kind of like just rolling with a very lean crew for a bit. But mm. I imagine, you know, TV is so much more. I mean, you're dealing with networks, you're dealing with 
craft services, <laughs> dealing with all sorts of stuff. So I, I, I'm sure it's a world of a difference. I wish I could talk to it more, but uh, I, I don't have a lot of experience on the TV side. Can you talk a little bit about the process of showrunners specifically on the production side? How did you get all these famous people for this interview? Oh, okay. Like, how did that work? So, uh, okay, I'll rewind real quick. Uh, now I'll, I'll tell a story that Des uh, told during the, the tour of showrunners. So he was in Ireland. And he came up with this great idea. Let's make a TV show about show. Uh, one of Ireland's biggest imports is the American TV. So he grew up just loving TV. And he was obsessed with Star Trek. So he was obsessed yeah. with Gene Roddenberry. He really liked X-Files. So he knew Chris Carter. He found it really interesting that some shows you would know the creator and some shows you didn't. And I think going into the 2000s with uh, guys like J.J. Abrams or Ronald D. Moore, yeah. showrunners were kind of like rock stars. They're, they're known, they're kind of famous, and he wanted to do a whole TV series about that. So he pitched it on the Irish Film Board, and they said, sure, here's some development money. And he flew over to America, and he thought it was going to be as easy as knocking on the doors of a studio, <laughs> <laughs> having a meeting and, you know, setting appointments and getting an interview. And it was going to be easy as that. But he, he spent the first year, I think, interviewing retired showrunners, showrunners who didn't have shows on TV anymore, just kind of like bottom of the barrel. People pass their time. And he just didn't know how to get the better showrunners. And on a whim, Jane Espenson got dinner with him. After like this really long dinner where he talked about himself and asked her a bunch of questions, she's like, so what are you trying to do? Are you trying to write a book or something? He goes, no, this is my plan. And he tells her the TV series idea and how he's going to get uh, a showrunner for each episode and blah, 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 blah. And she's like, yeah, that's not going to work. You're crazy. <laughs> and these are all the reasons why. Uh, she wasn't trying to discourage him. She's trying to give him some real talk. And yeah, all of those things kind of like definitely he ran into those challenges. But he because I don't know, Des, Des is kind of amazing. He's a very soft spoken guy. He's really tall, but he just kept on pushing forward. And he got Damon Lindelof. Damon Lindelof was the first one. I think he got it through assistance or going to like writers panels, bum rushed him somehow. <laughs> and once we got Damon Lindelof, um, he opened the door. To, he like just recommended friends to talk to us. And it kind of steamrolled. That's kind of like the the short version of it. In between that was just like lots of struggle. Lots of like eating uh, Wendy's and <laughs> figuring out what he's going to do next. I mean, he, he just came out here by himself. Just thinking he could pull this off. And all those obstacles got thrown in his way. Mm. And yeah, it's amazing. And... I felt like I was doing really nothing other than driving him around and let him sleep on my couch in the beginning, in that first year. But then once things started picking up, we were just like trying to shoot as many people. We just didn't have any money. So his development money ran out and we were just like, I mean, I have so many friends that like let me like hundreds of dollars just to like pay for shoots and stuff. And uh, we had, we have a lot of um, shooters. Like we had a, a regular cinematographer, but we had just like random and shooting uh, for us. So it was it was weird. I mean, I didn't even know we were doing it right. It felt wrong the whole time, <laughs> you know, but it it ended up so beautiful. Des did such a great job with, uh, with the editing of it. But those early days were just nothing for a long time. Then all of a sudden, we have them tomorrow at this time. And, and this is the only time we have it. So we have to come up with $1,000. What are we going to do? You know, and it's like that. So I, I, I think it was amazing that we solved it almost every time. You know, we ran into a lot of crazy issues for sure. But uh, oh my God, I'm having like PTSD. <laughs> 
How many people have you interviewed in the process of uh, showrunners? I believe Des interviewed 60 people and oh. 30 people made it. And, and uh, a lot of really good showrunners didn't make it, but they made it in the book. So everybody who didn't make it in the movie that said, um, you know, important things made it in the book. What was the, the transition between... So you guys wanted to do a TV series originally, Oh, correct? I didn't even bridge that yet. I'll tell you a little, little thing that happened at the end. So you're a showrunner... And we interview you, and we hand you our one-page release that we probably pulled off the internet. I don't, I don't know where Des got it. But <laughs> you sign it, and we walk away. And we're like, yay, we got this guy. Well, when you talk with the lawyers and they're looking over everything, they're like, uh, these showrunners can't sign releases. They're under deals with their networks and studios. They're not allowed to sign shit away in regards to the show. So we spent a lot of money and a long time <laughs> redoing all the oh deals with everybody. I'm even wondering if I'm even allowed to say this, but you know, I mean, I, I think it goes without saying that, yeah, these showrunners couldn't just freely give interviews about their shows. I mean, the studios and the networks really care about how their shows presented, and there's a lot of conflicts of interest in our movie. You know, we have multiple showrunners, different shows, different studios, networks, all this stuff. I mean, it's, I, I don't know if everybody was on board because of the way we're doing it. You know, it makes sense now. You watch it now and you're like, oh, this is great. Uh, this should have been so easy to pull off. But no one had ever done this before. You know, and that's the crazy thing about doing documentaries is like you're mostly exploring unknown territory. And uh, I've, it was so difficult to break through those initially to get through. Once I think once we got all the main show and we cut a little industry trailer that went viral. Everything was easy after that. All these showrunners started reaching out to us saying, hey, can we be in your movie? The way the funding worked with the Irish Film Board is like they gave it to him in steps. So as he showed progress, he got more development money until that ran out. And then that's why we did the Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And the Kickstarter was the thing that like put us on the map like in front of everyone. Did, uh, did showrunners kind of kickstart your career in a way i don't know it's everybody in la sure like they've seen it you know i go to sundance and people have seen it and that's really great but i still feel like i haven't done much you know even though i've accomplished like i mean i put two movies in theaters that's it's amazing it's mm -hmm. awesome but you know you're not making a lot of money off of docs it's docs take a really long time and you know showrunners is very inside baseball type of stuff it's not and as a producer, I don't really get any glory. You know, Des, if anything, all the hard work, guys. <laughs> he did all the really important stuff. You know, I'm glad I got to just be in the periphery of all that. But I guess so. I mean, I felt like I was the one that everybody talked to the most because I was on the ground. Des was in Ireland flying back and forth. He was limited in the access to people. I think me, Jason, and Ryan talked to all sorts of people. But I was... I think because I was more, I was the lowest level guy, it made it easier for me to connect with assistants. And I think once I, and I, you know, like we know this, like assistants kind of really run the town. There, <laughs> yeah. There's so many of them and uh, you could get access to anything if you just know the right assistant, you know? And I was very lucky that by the time showrunners had come out or near the end, you know, like during the Kickstarter and all this other stuff, I had met a lot of assistants. So they all helped. It's nice to kind of like when you have uh, a lot of people cheering you on. So I, it meant a lot to me that the movie was good. And I did a great job and I was responsible with everybody's money that donated. Uh, what was the question? I forget. Was it? <laughs> uh, I don't remember either. But no, that's great. I mean, obviously now, however many years later, having built all the oh, yeah. relationships with the assistants. Did it start my career? Sure. Sure. I mean, it 
gave me something to jump off of. Mm-hmm. And when I did Barista, it was nice to say, hey, I did this other doc that we sold and that played in theaters. You know, and it made it easier to finish that. Barista took a year and a half from me and Rock coming up with the idea at our jobs, at our day jobs, and selling it to Samuel Goldwyn. It was really fast. It was so quick because I had, I already knew how to do a Kickstarter because of showrunners. Interviewing baristas is a lot easier than interviewing showrunners, guys. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> getting access to baristas at coffee shops was goddamn easy, okay? <laughs> the topic was a lot easier to explore. It was just going to coffee shops, talking to people, letting them, letting us shoot their lives for a bit. Doing, And if you're doing a tournament movie, you're really just shooting the main tournament, and that's the hardest part. And once we shot the, the barista nationals that year, everything else was kind of easy. You know, we just kind of built the story leading up to uh, the whole thing. But um, yeah, if it wasn't for showrunners, I, I don't think I would have been as efficient with Barista. Rock had done a documentary before, and that was a shit show for him as well. So I think we, we approached, we were in the same mindset and how to like be a little more efficient, how to make it easier. The funny thing Rock said is, um, so he did a movie called The Pirate Tapes, which was the first film about Somali pirates. Mm. And it was a guy inside... A Somali pirate cell just like doing drugs and shooting guns and doing raids and whatever, right? And uh, that guy ended up going to prison. And it became this thing where the filmmakers had to step in front of the lens and spend the last half of the movie trying to get him out of prison. So if you can imagine, you're producers and you're, your star suddenly gets arrested in another country... He he always made a joke. He's like, I just don't want to do a movie where somebody gets killed anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the guy doesn't die. Okay. But um, it's a baristas. Yeah, it's a re- um, I mean, it was, it's such a safe, easy project. <laughs> Definitely, showrunners made that more possible. Mm-hmm. Made it easy. It gave me credibility. And then doing my third doc, it just it's so easy now because everybody's seen barista. Everybody's seen show. I met financiers at Sundance, and they're like, Oh, you did those. We should do your next movie. I mean, it was, they were so eager. I got scared. I was like, this doesn't sound right. It should be harder than this. I should be begging. <laughs> what is your process to kind of choose your topic for the next documentary? I make a joke that it's, I usually make a documentary about my current obsession. I think I know where this is going. Yeah. I'll tell you what Barista was like, we were originally going to do it about the early days of the LA coffee scene, the specialty coffee scene in LA. When Intelligentsia opened up in 2007, it really changed the way people bought coffee. All of a sudden, uh, they introduced the idea that if you spent $5 on a cup of coffee, it'll taste better and it'll feel worse. You know, once Intelligentsia broke that, because coffee's cheap, you know, you could go mm-hmm. anywhere and get it, buy it for a dollar. Then it just kind of like grew and it became this huge uh, industry in America. So I was like, okay, let's let's make a movie about it. When we discovered the, the barista competitions, uh, we pivoted because we went, this is a way more interesting idea. So I, I usually just go with the flow and I ask myself, what's the story here? What's the story here? So when I started doing my new doc about board games, I was going to a lot of board game competitions and they were really fun. I was having a good time and I'm hanging out in these convention centers and everybody's playing board games and it's really surreal to me uh, because I'm getting into board games like later in life and I'm like, I had no idea this existed. I'm like, what's the story here? Then I met the equivalent of a rapper selling a CD out of the back of their trunk. I met board game designers who are homebrewing their own games and bringing mm-hmm. them these cons and trying to sell them and trying to find distributors to pick them up like film acquisition. And I went, whoa, that's the story right there. Somebody trying to make a board game and get it on our target shelf. 
There's really no process. I'm just kind of like looking for a long time and you just kind of follow your gut. I tell people if you're going to make a documentary that you don't have to know anything about the subject. The trick is, is to record it, edit it, make it so that as it's unraveling for you, because, you know, like it's exciting, right? You're like, oh, shit, I'm discovering this new world. You have to make it feel the same way for the audience. It's Mm -hmm. unraveling for them, too. So if you could communicate articulate share that joy of experiencing something new seeing something different you know to your audience and like that's your- awesome how do you find the story and how do you do you consider yourself almost like a writer like writing the story as you go or editing it or do you find it when you're- okay so I, i've never directed a documentary i usually kind of work with first-time documentary directors and the thing is is like i have a gut feeling about how to approach something but I want to be able to guide some. So with Des, um, you know, he he had an idea. And I wouldn't necessarily say I guided him. But it was nice to be able to provide input and help him kind of approach it in a, in a, in a new way than, than he was doing it before. So, for example, I saw Indie Game the movie. And I came back and I said, Des, watch this movie. It's so gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's It's about video games. But I felt like it really just like spoke to me. So he watched it and that affected showrunners for sure so that was a little thing that i realized i'm like okay well the director is trying to like find the story and figure it all out i have to creatively inject things that i think would speak to it help them communicate it a little bit better that's just a very minor version of that but mm-hmm. for barista i showed rock this video of kyle glanville who st- opened the intelligentsia um, in silver lake of him talking romantically about an espresso machine. It's such a minor thing, but he watched it and it kind of helped him come with, uh, help him come up with a way to approach barista, you know? So that like stuck with us for a really, really long time. I guess I'm sort of directing it with him, but I'm letting him make the ultimate decisions, but I'm kind of helping him. I guess I'm bringing him more options. You know, I'm like, okay, we're, we're, we've been doing it like this for a little bit, but what do you think about this way or this way or this mm-hmm. way? You know, and if you want to do it this way, this is what I could do. You know, so I, I think being a good producer is making sure that they have enough options. They're making the right decisions financially and creatively. I mean, I'm also helping them edit. I mean, it's it's weird because you're sort of directing, but not really. You know, I, I kind of emotionally stand back. I make sure that it's really, truly driven they're they're driving but like i'm holding the thomas guide i'm kind of saying hey if we take this shortcut here we could do this so i'm really winging it guys i'm kind of making it up as i go along you know and with charles he never thought he could be a director i guess like he he did shorts or whatever but he never thought he'd direct a documentary and then one day i'm just like charles you're gonna direct this board game documentary okay and he goes what (laughs) and he's doing a really fine job and i'm kind of imparting all the knowledge that i have from showrunners and baristas and it's kind of cool watching him grow you know it's it's really cool watching the story unfold in front of him and i'm kind of running around you know meeting people all this other stuff and i just kind of send them to him i go mm. talk to this guy talk to this guy so i would like to think i'm i i'm a really f-ing great sidekick when it comes to like <laughs> stuff like that i don't know like i said i don't even know what i'm doing half the time i'm really winging it but i make I really care about the director's vision, mm. and I just want to be able to make sure that he's able to do all the things he wants to do, and then also bring all the things he doesn't know he wants to do, like put it in front of him so he has that option. I still feel very new. I just know that I'm pretty good at collaborating with people. I'm just like a worker bee. 
I'm not trying to like steal the show. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm not trying to be a baggage producer. I just kind of want to help because I, I, I guess I'm not in it for the money yet. If I was driven by money, I'd probably be a different type of producer. But right. I just want to make something cool. You know, like I just want to be rad. I, I just want to. <laughs> I really love watching the audience watch stuff that I work on because it's like if they're kind of like really feeling it, that makes me happy. I just want you to have a good time, you know, watching my my, my random hobby <laughs> movies. <laughs> Is there a, a tentative title for the, the board game documentary? It's called Game Master. Game Master. I, re- I really like it. It means a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a little bit of Barista, a little bit of showrunners. You know, I think the subjects that we found so far are, have been really good. It's been fun doing research for it, just playing a lot of board games. Mm-hmm. I know way more about board games than I thought I ever would, or about, like, board game gossip. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just like throwing myself into it and getting good and, you know, being a fan. And I think uh, I think all of our docs are just driven by the love of whatever it is that we're covering. And are you planning to continue with documentary? Have you thought about maybe getting into TV documentary series, like How to Make a Murderer or like <laughs> Animal Planet or something? For many years, I would always say, ah, once I finish Showrunners, I'm done. Once I finish Barista, I'm done. I think I'll always probably do docs now. Like, I, you know, I want to direct and write and work on other stuff, but I think I'll always have a doc running simultaneously. You know, I, I have way too many resources to squander it and i and i feel like my approach has been successful i'm seriously gonna just like go to a yogurt shop one day and ask the cashier if they want to direct my yogurt movie and, uh, <laughs> and just run with it for your low <laughs> would you do docs for like as a tv series or yeah. even stick to film i mean i am obsessed with making a murderer i'm mm. obsessed with like true crime stuff so right now i make these safe pop docs that i think are just fun or whatever i'll never win an oscar but i do think about it like am i gonna would I ever want to do something more substantial that like something political like Michael Moore or something like insane like Alex Gibney and you know his mm-hmm. going clear doc like yeah. I, I it's hard f- right now it's hard for me to imagine that I would like throw myself into stuff like that because mm. I just want to do these silly things you know like I thought about a doc about caricature artists because I found out they have f- conventions god everything <laughs> oh. has a convention but <laughs> you know uh what is it called Caricacon. yeah i mean i would love to like find a cold case and try to solve it and try not to get stabbed and you know doing <laughs> it the process i mean making a murderer is just like amazing but those guys had to like live with those people hmm. for many years i don't know if i'm ready for that but yes i would love to do it maybe if someone just handed it to me and say hey be my producer be my best friend let's make this i'm like okay i'll say sure because i'm still trying to be open about like the possibility. What are some uh, documentaries that inspires you, or that inspired oh, you? I love. This is my favorite question, guys. Oh. <laughs> Have you ever seen that documentary, Imposter? No. It's a documentary about this family who uh, whose kid goes missing. They find that kid many years later, and this person in Italy had the same tattoos and the same scars and everything. They bring him back to America. Now he's living with this family, except he could barely speak English. The great thing about this documentary is that that dude is of the doc. And you know from the start, he's a f***ing liar. It's not him. He's not the real kid. And so they ask all these other questions like, okay, so if he's obviously not the kid, why is this family taking him? Are they hiding something? Is there more to it? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that 
that show that came out, I think maybe last year or a year before, The Family, the family was kind of yeah. loosely yeah. based on that. Plus, one of my favorite documentaries because it's so unconventional. They have like the subjects, the narrator, they do reenactments in it. It's just a really crazy. And then there's just like so many more things that kind of unravel that you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening, you know? My dream is to make a doc like that somehow. Mm. I don't know how because it's already been made. It's called The Imposter. But uh, <laughs> I love Indie Game the movie. Uh, just because it's so gorgeous and it's just a beautiful movie about video games. I, I think it's one of the best. Uh, King of Kong, I was really obsessed with for a while. I mean, I've, it's weird. I never thought I'd ever make docs, but I've been, I've loved docs all of my life. I love that um, LCD sound system documentary. Is it called? But it's about their last show in New York. And that's a gorgeous doc. I mean, all of the movies I just talked about, you know, definitely influenced Barista. Have you seen Helvetica? No, I haven't. But the typeface one. Yeah. Oh, Charles it's, watched it. He watched movie. it. He says he uh, he thought it was really good, but he kept on falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that a sign of approval? Then <laughs> it's too good. What are the ones that I have you seen? Uh, Searching for Sugarman. Yes, yeah. great doc. Um, Submarine, who released that movie, also released Showrunners. Yeah. Um, I love the walk. Um, yeah, the walk is great. What else? What else do? Um, I, I love I love true crime stuff. So yeah, making a murder I really loved. Oh, what's that? One? The Hollywood guy, the guy from New York who killed his wife. The Jinx. Yeah, the Jinx. That ending guy is so <laughs> good. I know. I love true crime docs. Mm-hmm. I could I could watch those all day. Um, the OJ series was Ma- really made great. in America. Yeah, yeah. That was oh my god, so comprehensive. Oh, wasn't guys. that like a thirteen-hour documentary? Yeah, it was really long. Yeah. I think it was like eight episodes or something. So comprehensive. If you enjoyed uh, American Crime Story, definitely watch it because it's a great compliment to the FX. Series. Mayor of Sunset Strip. Have you guys ever seen that? It's about uh, Ronnie Bingle. He's the DJ in LA. And it's about his early days of how he would like discover bands and make them famous. And he was just a uber socialite and just hung out with all these famous people. It was a really great doc about him. The kid stays in the picture. It's about Robert Evans. He's a movie producer and how uh, he just rose to the top. You know how they always make jokes about people being discovered by the pool at the Hilton? Like, he was that guy. <laughs> and uh, he was just a really good-looking, charismatic guy who was a shitty actor and somehow became the head of Paramount Pictures. And it's just a really great doc that's narrated by him, just like about his life and about early Hollywood. Really great. You've been uh, producing some short films as well. Uh, you had one recently, Heroines? Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was uh, my directorial debut. Shot that last August. Last August? Yeah, it took it like a year and a half in post. Visual effects, guys, it'll kill you. <laughs> um, yeah, and it came out, premiered at the LACMA, which was really awesome. It was, it was nice to... It was... You know, the nice thing about producing and why I kind of like it is like... I get to just help someone make something awesome and I get to enjoy it as a fan. You know, it doesn't hurt me if it's bad. It doesn't... I don't get way too excited if it's really good or I get a lot of attention or whatever. But, you know, like the director will always have the glory, you know, with those type of things. So, like, I just like to help, you know, Mm -hmm. that's kind of my approach with it. But being the director of something and then, like, having people watch it is the scariest thing on the planet. Uh, so it was cool. I'm glad I got to like break through that and I, and I feel, you know, pretty awesome now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was great. What's, what's kind of the idea behind producing shorts? Like why would people go in and make a short? I mean, it's, it's to show that you could get something done and that you could do it of high quality and that you could mobilize a lot of people to talented people to come and want to work on, you know, just to show that you could tell a story. The number one reason why you do a short is to like, you know, obviously it's your resume. It's it's uh, if you make something really 
awesome and it goes viral or it plays the festival circuit, yeah, you're going to get a lot of attention. People are going to come want to work with you again. I tell people to make shorts because even if you make a bad short, you you get to work with people. And that's the most important part, you know, to see how you are under pressure, to see all the different types of personalities and temperaments and learn to work with those types. I'm pretty good at working with the difficult people. You know, I've done it a lot. And I imagine most of us have trying to come up in the industry. But um, you do you make enough shorts, you eventually start to make good shorts. And if you stuck it out with the people you made shorts with, man, they're better too. You know, I, I, like, I can't, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to like struggle with people for a long time, you know, till you get to that spot where you're making really good stuff, because then, you know, you can rely on, you know, everybody who stuck around, you know, who didn't move away from LA, who didn't quit, or, you know, unfortunately had to leave for whatever reason, you know, like they, they all get better. And I think the pain and the suffering kind of like gives you the power uh, to make amazing things. You make shorts because you just want to make art, and make something awesome, and, and it's okay that it's shitty sometimes. I've made a lot of shitty shorts, guys. <laughs> <laughs> In college or uh, after Oh, my college. God. Backyard <laughs> shorts with your friends yeah. doing like... It was, it'd literally be like this. We would watch Mortal Kombat in the theaters and then we'd go home and try to make it. Or you make it in the backyard. I felt that's how YouTube was born. Was yeah, no, I see. I was, I was lucky enough that all the stuff I made was before YouTube came around. Cause, uh, up until recently, there was like one or two really horrible shorts that were still floating around for my 48 hour film project days. And I like just like took them. You should send them over so we can link them in the show notes. I'll tell you a story about one though. Yeah. I wrote, and co-directed a musical called Gated Community Hookers <laughs> for the 40-hour film project in San Diego. And it was about uh, sex workers talking about the the mortgage uh, and housing crash. <laughs> and they're singing and they're rapping about it. I had my uh, wow. DJ friend in New York making beats setting him over then i had this like rapper friend of mine who would just write the raps and then i would record him in the bedroom you know with my all my friends who like don't want to do this you know you're just like when you do these type of things you're just rounding up your friends you're like be in my movie you know uh, yeah. and they're all reluctantly rapping about the housing crash and then and then we go out and we shoot it wow. and it's so ridiculous Anyways, I'll share it with you guys privately. <laughs> and then it became the big short. Uh, <laughs> I won the audience award that year, by oh, the nice. way. <laughs> One day when you do have an Oscar, it's going to get leaked on the internet. <laughs> it's yeah, it's probably been copied, you know, in those like uh, those sites, those YouTube, the ones that just like copy all the YouTube yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it's out there somewhere. <laughs> it's it's really horrible, and I'm truly embarrassed by it, guys. Like really embarrassed by it. It's yeah. going to be the one clip in the whole in yeah. this entire podcast uh, page. It's going to be this whole. <laughs> it's you know you got to make bad stuff before you can make good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that's why Never I'm not like, that. uh, that's why I'm like, okay, you know, some people have a hard time making bad things. So they feel like, look, if you could just be happy with the fact that you got it done, most people don't even make shorts, you know, like just, just completing things in LA is so difficult, you know? And if you could keep on going, that's one thing I feel like I learned in San Diego. When you work at a startup, it's usually like a year and a half of like intense passion. You believe in this thing. It's going to make a lot of money. And then, like, three months of a slow death. As you run out of money, people leave the company. You realize that all this time you've been working on the shittiest thing possible. And then it's over. 
and then you do it all over again. I was part of eight startups in San Diego, and none of them, made, and it's awful, guys. It's awful. But I, I learned to pick myself up and dust myself off, and you know, keep the optimism, uh, you know, and be ex- continue to be excited about things. And so far, I feel like the the film stuff is a little bit easier mm-hmm. <laughs> than making an app, which is weird to say. What are some tips for aspiring producers? Aspiring producers. Just don't be shitty. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, the only way to get things done is you have to motivate and get people excited about what you want to do and make sure that they have a little bit of ownership in some way, financial, creative, whatever. Just make them feel a part of it because you're going to need them and like really try to make it together. Maybe I'll never be that director, you know, that I, that I, that the ones that I admire because, uh, because I, 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 I don't believe that my vision is the right vision. I don't believe that my vision should be the only vision. You know, I, I really think that everything that I've worked on has been great because I, you know, opened myself to let other people like help out and provide input. You know, like I, I think I've been um, pretty easy to work with. Nick, we mm-hmm. worked on a short together. How was that? We did. It was great. Was it a very uh, easy experience? <laughs> Absolutely. I got to sit. Th- I got to hand them a script and then sit there and do nothing. And, and like you had never worked with me before that. So did you think it was ever going to happen? Uh, yeah. No, I trusted that you guys <laughs> would, would get it together. Said in a <laughs> sarcastic tone. <laughs> <laughs> We just get to sit there and play chess with each other as background actors. That's oh, everyone true. else did all the hard yeah, work. Yeah, so. Nick Nick wrote a script. My my friend Rachel wanted to make it, and and we made it. I a- actually asked people that didn't know you or Rachel for money, and they put in money. You know, it was a very very easy process. Easy breezy. I mean, we're still in post, guys. But we'll fix in post. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen anything, so uh, but I trust you. I trust but you uh, but yeah, we got to shoot it, which is you know usually that's the hardest part to get to. Would you say you have kind of like an end goal or an ultimate aspiration for what you want to be doing? What's your dream? Okay, to be doing. Yes, in I have years, I so? have a very specific goal. Here it is. My parents are Vietnamese uh, refugees. They came to America. And I was born in Thailand along the way. So we grew up watching a lot of like American TV in the 80s and 90s. My number one goal is this. I need to make an action movie. It needs to be able to play at an AMC so my parents could go to it. And it needs to start either Bruce Willis, Sylvester Stallone, or Arnold Schwarzenegger. I just need to have one of those guys before they retire. And that's it. That's my number one goal in life. Because if I do that, my parents see it, they'll understand everything i've been doing this whole entire time and i and i think they'll finally love me uh because <laughs> i i they i don't think my parents you know wanted to escape communism and have their kid be a struggling filmmaker now <laughs> like after all of that they're like what you just want to make movies not be a dentist have they not seen hamilton they, they need to know that <laughs> they don't know what hamilton is oh could you make a documentary about these action stars would that suffice for no, them or would it need to no, be a real action no, movie somebody needs to be holding a machine gun and shooting <laughs> scripted yeah it, like it, there needs to be explosions in a speedboat guys what's your favorite <laughs> movie starring any of these three guys i do love the sixth sense starring bruce willis but there's no guns in that i mean you know predator those early arnold schwarzenegger oh, predator, movies so like yeah. conan mm-hmm. predator i i do love pulp fiction yeah there, uh, there's guns in that but not in the way that my dad wants there's they're not shooting at like <laughs> you know millions of people and screaming while they're doing it um you know rocky mm-hmm. i you know the movie that my dad would show me all the time was that ricky schroeder movie the champ 
Did you guys ever see that? My dad loves boxing, so he loves rock. Uh, we watched The Champ a ton. And I would love to make a movie that, like, affects my dad. You know, uh, my mom loves Titanic. She busted those VHS tapes. We, <laughs> I, I bought her, like, one of those, like, it was two VHS tapes yeah. of Titanic. And, man, she busted them. She loved that movie. I mean, it would be cool to make a movie that my parents would, like, love to watch. Mm. They watch Barista, which was really cool, but it's weird. You know, it's surreal to me that I made a movie about coffee. My parents are watching it, you know, they and they like it. And my dad drinks coffee in a different way. Yeah. I mean, that's cool. But I, I need Arnold Schwarzenegger shooting a bazooka or something, uh, <laughs> jumping out of a helicopter for my dad to... Yeah, my boss in my day job uh, is from a little town in Missouri, produced like five in on the festival circuit and been released internationally and whatever. But his his mom and dad back at home were like, when, so when's your movie coming to our theater? And he's like, uh, it's, it's not. It's, yeah, it's yeah. never coming there. Sorry. It's, like, <laughs> it's coming to the iTunes theater on yeah. your computer. Yeah, I just wanted to play it at AMC. Like, oh, God, that's the dream, guys. Is there anything that you're watching right now that you would recommend, either TV, documentary? I just finished Search Party. Did you guys see that? Oh, Search Party. Yes. So oh, my God, that ending, guys. That I ending know, right? so good. I, I really like Dirk Gently. I'm kind of obsessed with Troll Hunters. Have you guys been watching Troll Hunters? It's a lot of episodes. Yeah. It's like, I don't mind binging something that's 13 episodes, but there's like 26 episodes in this thing. It's like really been a long time. I'm moving slowly. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys ever see that show Top of the Lake? I think I'm the last person to watch it. Um, I don't watch, oh, everybody go see John Wick 2. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm already calling it my favorite movie of the year. <laughs> so what's what's next for you right now? You're obviously still working on the board game thing, but so, you got anything lined up? I, I wrote a horror short which I'll probably shoot in the spring. I am doing Game Master, which we're hoping to wrap principal at the end of the year. If I'm in Germany in the fall, that means everything's going great. Essen is, is where the biggest board game convention happens. Really want to go and play some German board games. Are they all Euro games there? They didn't play yeah, 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 yeah. By definition. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's a big project that I may get to do at the end of the year. If everything works out, I get to have my first feature. So Ooh. we'll see. Is, uh, is Arnie on board yet? Or? Who? Arnie. Is Arnie? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I think he is. If he'll accept a $50 paycheck. I'm just going through the motions of trying to be a director, make shorts, and get people excited about, you know, my ideas. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a scary process because there's really no way to do it other than just shorts, trick people into thinking your ideas will make them millions of dollars. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, we'll see. In a year, we'll revisit. We'll see where I'm at. Maybe we'll maybe. do part two. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my god, I am nervous now. <laughs> you better make it. <laughs> oh my god. So, guys, I'm a homeless person. <laughs> do you have any resources for uh, potential producers? Oh yes, actually, I'll tell you a story. So my first, my first real uh, contact out here was a guy named Roy Lee, who's a massive producer mm-hmm. now. And um, if you look him up, it's just like his IMDb is huge, and all the things he has in development or in production. I mean, it's just like massive. He was the the remake king for a while. He was famous for taking a lot of Asian properties and making American film horror films out of them. But I had met him before. The Ring had come out. I had interviewed him for an Asian cinema website that I was writing for. And I was the first person I ever interviewed him. And if you go to his IMDb, you'll see a picture of him. I took that picture years ago, a long time ago. But I was the first person to ever interview him. And it was a really great experience. And to this day, he still answers my emails, which is awesome. But he, um, 
He's obviously way too busy, but we used to go out and grab uh, lunches at Swingers on um, Beverly. I love Swingers. And he'd buy me food all the time, and I thought it was the coolest thing. The Miramax offices were on Beverly, and so he worked out of that. He had a first-look deal there right uh, on the eve of Ring's release, and so it was really cool going to Miramax and having lunch with this producer, you know? So he had this huge box behind him, and it had the same book in it, like a ton of It was called uh, Pound of Flesh by Art Linson. And I said, oh, why do you have uh, all those books there? And he goes, oh, this is the book that got me into producing. And he gave me it. And I went home and I read it a day. What I love about that book is it's about a producer. It's about Art Linson's early days. He produced a lot of David Mamet stuff. It's about his early days trying to make it as a producer. And it's all books. It's all stories of him. It kind of demystifies producing. You know, you're being a good producer is having good instincts. You're just kind of following your gut. Uh, You have to be charismatic. You have to convince people that. What you're doing is worthwhile, but the but the book is just like him messing up. It's kind of the producing version of uh, the William Goldman one. Um, what's it called? Uh, Adventures in the Screen Trade. Yes, Adventures in the Screen Trade. So it's the producing version of that. And if you read it, it's really funny and really hilarious. And you're like, well, wow, this guy's making all the fun. He's just making all the mistakes. And... It made me kind of like think about producing for the very first time. So this was when did the ring come out? Like 2003, 2002, something 2002. like that. That when I finished that book, that was the first time I ever thought that maybe I could produce. So pick that book up and read it, and you'll realize that this guy knew nothing when he started. You know, he just figured it out as he went along, and that's kind of still my philosophy. Like I'm just kind of following my gut. I don't really have hard skills, you know, I, I just kind of like, I know I could talk to people and I know I could get people excited about things. And, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. But it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to come off like you don't know what you're doing. I made it all the time. I'm like, I need help. Tell me how to do this. Yeah, read that book. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll make you feel better about producing. And then the other book I really like is Save the Cat. I used to recommend people to read Story by Robert McKee, but no one ever finished it. <laughs> but people could read Save the Cat in a day. It's like and a- they can also pay $5,000 for a seminar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can't finish uh, it. Save the Cat is everything that's in story, except it's kind of presented to you in a really funny simple way it's not the book that's going to help you write an oscar award-winning screenplay but it gives you a good understanding of story just like the basic foundation of and i think what if you're an actor if you're a producer whatever like if you're anything else it's still valuable to um to read because you need to learn how to talk to a writer oh that's the other advice i would give as a producer understand what everybody does around you because I don't have to be a good cinematographer. I just need to like be able to understand enough to communicate with the cinematographer, you know? And I, I guess that's also really helpful for directing. But, you know, respect all the different roles around you because everybody plays an important role despite like the billing. I would say read those two and I think you'll have a good start. I read both of those very late after like just like flopping around for so long. <laughs> but I, I think those were the two that finally kind of made me go, oh, okay. It's okay that I don't know everything. And it's... I have a solid foundation until I kind of build my my instincts off of mm. When you finish making your first film, get a sales agent. Making the deals on your own is very difficult and time-consuming, and it's easy to get taken advantage of. I'm not saying I've been a take, but sales agents will, will do you right. They will mm. protect you and make the process a lot easier of selling your first film. How easy is it to get a sales agent? It's very difficult, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but... If you made a decent product, it's very easy. So if, if it's been difficult, 
you probably didn't make the movie that's sold and that's okay and you know there's always uh there's a lot of distributors that'll still like really help you release it online not saying gravitas has bad taste or good taste i'm neutral to gravitas uh they they release showrunners digitally they're a digital distributor and they're really awesome with us but if you look at their catalog they range in quality but they're really good in that space and so you have guys like gravitas who are willing to take a lot of different types of movies there's there's more distributors you know those types uh popping up all the time mm-hmm. you know new ways to release films so if yeah if you can't get a sales agent to kind of get it done the traditional you'll always have digital in some manner i mean i have friends who made really awful stuff and they know so I don't i don't feel bad saying it but they found a distributor and they made some money for, for those who don't know, what exactly is a sales agent and how does the kind of distribution process work once you finished it? You got to court buyers, you know, like Samuel Goldwyn were, was the world uh, distributor for Barista and uh, they found us through the Kickstarter. I, I treated my Kickstarter like as a marketing piece. So, oh, that's another thing we could go into maybe on another episode of like Kickstarter stuff because I got a lot to say about that. Yeah, so Samuel Goldwyn found us via our kickstarter when we when they reached out and they wanted to see it we spent a couple months just getting a nice cut ready and then we sent it to them they pretty much bought it so they were very excited about we knew had something and that's one of the things i'm i was really sad about that we didn't get to go on a festival circuit neither showrunners or barista had a real festival circuit run because we were lucky enough to get picked i don't know what i'm gonna do with game master because getting distributors like this like if someone wants to buy it off you have to do it man there's something really romantic about just taking your film around and showing it at festivals and stuff like that a lot of people say like this that's a better strategy because you you make your film more valuable through the festival circuit especially if it's good and it's getting loose and you build a bigger pool of buyers to kind of they, they fight with each other to try to get your movie or whatever. I wish I had more experience in this thing because I usually tell people like, yeah, take it to the festival because that's the way to get interest. One of my friends just had the premiere of her film. And because I attended it, the Samuel Golden Rep reached out to me and they're like, hey, we saw that you saw this movie. We've been looking at this movie for a while now. Could you connect us? So I connected the director and I was like, whoa, that's really cool. It was kind of, you know, it felt really rad to be able to do that. I do my best to try to connect because I, the girl that bought Barista, she now works at another distribution company. So I feel like I have two really good uh, resources that I share with like my friends who make docs now or indie features. You know, Mm -hmm. I said, oh, you should talk to these people. And they're always happy to meet, you know, the people I, I, I recommend. So that's really nice. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you so much, Jimmy, for coming in and sharing your insight and, and war oh, thanks stories. Thanks for having me. This yeah. was great. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 32. If you want to give us a review, you can go to paperteam.co slash iTunes. Uh, and all the reviews that we get will help us get noticed and more listeners and people. <laughs> and I'm on Twitter at TV Colin. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. You on Twitter, Jimmy? Yes, I am, but um, I'm not very uh, active, but it's uh, Jimmy Wen LA. That's my Twitter handle, my Instagram handle, my Facebook. I try to stay consistent. I'm uh, clicking follow right now. Boom. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, and if you guys have any feedback, thoughts, opinions, you can send them to us at ask at paperteam.co. Um, what are we doing next week? Well, next week we'll be talking about the ins and outs of uh, TV running competitions. Any thoughts on this, Jerry? <laughs> <laughs> uh, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you guys next time. Bye.